Okay, give me grace. Uh, we're kicking off our foundation series where we're talking about the three pillars that we here at Salt Company build our ministry upon. Uh, so we're talking about the Bible, why we believe the Bible is the Word of God, community. We believe that nobody is meant to follow Jesus alone. We're a part of a bigger family of God. And number three, mission. We believe that God loves people. And with that being said, we believe that he welcomes us into this family and then sends us out to live missionally wherever we're at. So Bible community mission, and I understand that there are many people in this room that have a wide variety of experiences, and some of you are like, you know what, I was homeschooled, no shade on homeschool kids, someone laughed already, really? Um, I was homeschooled, I came to know Jesus when I was six, and... Uh, life has been a blast. And some of you have said, I was raised in the church, and quite honestly, I really want nothing to do with Jesus, but there's this cute girl who keeps bringing me around, so that's why I'm here. Uh, for some of you are relatively new to church. Uh, you haven't really explored it for yourself. Maybe you call yourself a Christian because your family was quote-unquote Christian, but you don't actually know what you believe or why you believe it. And I just want you to know, like, all that entire spectrum from the skeptic who really doesn't want anything to do with Jesus but is here because of a cute girl, all the way to homeschool, came to know Jesus at six, like, you are welcome here. And my hope is that you would give us enough grace over the next three weeks just to say, man, I'm going to show up for three weeks, learn more about Salt Company and what this Jesus thing is all about. And at that point, if you want to bail... I hope that you'll at least have the respect to come up and tell me your name so I can, like, know you as a human being because I care about you. But honestly, like, no shade. If you come for three weeks and you're like, hey, not for me right now, I'd love to get to know you, but I'm going to say, God bless you. Like, I hope our paths cross again, but you're always welcome here. Are we good on that? Three weeks, a three-week commitment, Bible community mission. Before we get into our Bibles tonight, because that's our topic, I kind of want to just pull over on the side of the road and talk to you about what your culture, what our culture is telling us right now when it comes to this idea of truth. So we live in what is coined as a post-truth era, meaning does truth really exist? That's a question that we're asking here in 2021, and this has been around for a little bit. Um, Oprah Winfrey several years ago coined the term discover your own truth, and that has caught wind and as a wildfire, both on your campus um, and culturally in the news, you're hearing this idea of discover your own truth. Your way to flourish in life, your way to thrive and be who you were made to be is to discover your own truth. And that sounds great at first, doesn't it? Like, to me, I think back to freshman year of college. It's this idea of no one can tell me what to do right? I'm going to create my own truth. No ice cream for breakfast? Bogus. Did it multiple times in college. And think about this. If you can create your own truth, you can get straight A's all the way through school because there's no wrong answer to a test. You look at a complex mathematical equation and you say, I feel like the answer is one. That sounds pretty good to me. I mean, who doesn't like that? But we all know that there's this bigger issue lying underneath create your own truth. And it starts with loneliness, okay? If everybody in this room can create their own truth 
and we all have different backgrounds and different experiences and different opinions, none of us can actually have the same truth. You are now on an island, and nobody can believe what you believe because we all have our own beliefs. There's over 100 represented in this room. That leads to loneliness, and on top of that, there's this overwhelming sense of depression that has just killed, literally, Gen Z. It is killing Gen Z to say, hey, college student, discover your own truth. This is your pathway to flourishing. But the problem is, you think differently now than you did when you were eight. Praise God for that, anybody? Like, I love that. I love that we're growing up and we're able to add a little bit more logic and reason, but this breaks down because as you go to college and as you gain more life experience, as you meet more people, your truth changes. Your truth changes. And that leads to just this faulty, shaky ground, which leads you unstable. You don't have answers. You're full of anxiety and, yes, depression, because you're trying to bear a weight and a burden that you were never meant to bear. Because we don't create truth, okay? This mindset of discover your own truth screams freedom. But, I alluded to this earlier, it is destroying individuals, families, and cultures, okay? Suicide is the number two killer of college students in America. That's tragic to me. That's devastating. And I think this discover your own truth is only a part of that issue, but I think it's a big part of it. Even social media feeds into that, you know, show people that you are the best, that you have it figured out together, that you have your own truth. Meanwhile, we're rotting away inside. You know, families are falling apart because dad just decides, you know what, I don't feel like being married anymore. I feel like sleeping around with other women. So dad walks out on mom and two kids because he feels like it. He's discovering his own truth, right? That sounds right, doesn't it? No. We can look at that situation and be like, man, I thought you loved her. I thought you made a commitment to her. But he's discovering his own truth. And then beyond that, we have countless genocides that have not only happened historically, but are happening today as people are wiping out entire races of people. Uh, Christians in some part of the world and other part of the world's Muslims being killed in masses. And we just sit here and we say, yeah, we're going to root for that. Please, get out of here. We're not rooting for that. We don't have a problem with absolute truth, okay? Here is just the reality. Most people that are opponents to Christianity, people that maybe stiff arm this idea of Christianity, don't have a problem with absolute truth because they love science, right? They want to use science and logic and reason. They love truth, they just maybe don't love the truth of Christianity. And how about this? Everybody that hates what the Bible says about sexual morality loves having designated lanes on the road to drive in. Right? You don't want anybody to tell you what to, what to do with your body and with your sexual morality because that is restrictive. But yet, lanes on a road, those are fine because those are going to help me from not getting hit head on. We love lanes on a road, but we don't want someone to tell us what to do with our body and with our sexual morality. We don't have a problem with absolute truth. The problem is we do have a problem with truth that comes at odds with who we, who we think we are and what we think we're made for. So 
if this discover your own truth era is actually leading to fragility, anxiety, depression, and destruction, the question is, how do we live this life that we were made for? What is the absolute truth that we can cling to that will lead to our flourishing, our joy, and actually the life we were made for? And I'm going to show my cards early. I believe it's the Word of God, okay? This book, this Bible, I want you guys to pull it out if you have a physical Bible. And if not, I want you to pull out your phone and download the Bible app, all right? I don't know what your experience is with this book. Um, I'm assuming for most people in this room, you're probably relatively familiar with what a Bible is, whether that's going to a Marriott and opening, um, you know, the end table and the Gideons had put a Bible in there, or whether it's your own or your parents that's collected dust at home for the last 15 years. Um, Most of us know that the Bible is uh, what Christianity claims to be the Word of God, okay? And I'm going to tell you that I believe that claim is legitimate. 66 books written by over 40 authors from a variety of different backgrounds, from tent makers to fishermen, written over the course of 1,600 years spanning three continents, and it fits together perfectly, without contradiction or error, telling one cohesive story about who God is, who we are, and the, the matters of life and death, and what God has to say about that. In fact, it contains over 2,000 prophecies that were fulfilled hundreds or thousands of years after their writing. So I don't know if there's any math nerds in here. I love data and statistics. The probability of these prophecies being fulfilled without error is 1 in 10 raised to the 20,000th power. I think it's legit. But more than that, the Bible is unchanging, okay? Now, you're probably thinking, really, the Bible's unchanging? Because I've heard it said a lot of different ways. I am here to tell you that people have misinterpreted Scripture, and people with malicious intent have added to Scripture or taken from Scripture to try and make it fit their own preferences. But this Bible that I'm holding in my hands today, that you can download a Bible app and pull up what we're looking at, it has stood the test of time. It has withstood attempts of kings, dictators, and societies trying to abolish it, but yet at the same time, it's been a bestseller forever. There's a quote in here that says, it words, its words contain a hope not found in any other religious writing and has transformed the lives of millions, many of which I would say are in this room. Other world religions claim loyal adherence, but the glue that holds most of their faithful is fear, intimidation, or human effort. The Bible promises what no other book does, life, hope, and purpose as a gift from the Almighty God. Its words have transformed murderers, tyrants, and nations because the Bible resonates as truth in the deepest parts of the human soul. The Bible may be rejected, hated, or ignored, but its impact on those who heed it cannot be discounted. I am one of those people, okay? Sexually immoral drunk who had the mouth of a pirate junior year of college, comes in contact with the Word of God, and now I'm standing on a stage talking to you about Jesus. That doesn't just happen because I read a nifty book that has historical reliability to it. This has the power to change hearts and change lives.
I am evidence of that. And so there is this distinction that I think we get wrong when it comes to the Bible and oftentimes leads to us putting it on the side and it collecting dust. And it's the difference between religion and revelation, okay? Religion would tell you that this book, you've probably heard it said before, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's a bunch of crap, okay? People that would say the Bible is man's attempt to order his path and explain the world around him. They have it wrong. Because the Bible is not religion but revelation. This is a gift from God for the purpose of helping humanity live in harmony with God's will. That's what revelation is. That we can look at this work and say God has revealed himself that the God of the universe, the God that speaks galaxies into existence, would say, I am going to compile writings that speak to the human soul in any time frame, any generation, any culture, and it can change the human heart. That God is speaking to me, and he is speaking to you tonight. That should leave us in awe, amen? That is a big deal, that God would speak to his creation. And so we're going to open up. We're going to be in Psalm 1. You can go there. Uh, feel free to flip there in an app. If you have a Bible and you're not super familiar with it, flip about halfway into your Bible, you'll probably hit Psalms. It's the longest book in the Bible, and then flip all the way back to chapter 1. That's where we're at. Psalm 1. The book of Psalms is this collection of poems, and they're filled with emotion. All right, Everything from adoration, of who God is, all the way to like fear and frustration. And for anybody struggling through difficult seasons of life or rejoicing in all the blessings that God has lavished upon you, I would just encourage you, like open up the Psalms and start reading. You would be really encouraged at how these people pray to, sing to God. But the goal of Psalms is not just uh, poetry meant to woo us, although it does do that, uh, the goal of the Psalms is that its readers, actually its singers, I'm not going to sing it to you tonight, uh, you're welcome, that the people that are reading and singing these Psalms would actually begin to practice what they're saying, what they're singing. So that's the goal. We're going to be in Psalm 1. We're going to slow roll through it, so don't read too far ahead. We're going to read two verses at a time. You guys ready? Yes, sir. I like that. Did you say yeah, sure, or yes, sir? All right. Good answer. Uh, all right. Verses 1 and 2. God says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Okay. We see two different types of people. There's two different types of people in this world, in this life, that we come in contact with, that we experience. Number one, people who are blessed. And blessed here does not mean flourishing, rich, um, has all the earthly prosperity. No, the word blessed means an ongoing state of well-being based upon one's relationship with God. And here we see that the man or woman, the, the individual who is described as blessed is an individual whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, on God's word, he or she meditates day and night. It's because this person 
sees God as their source of truth. And it just kind of makes sense to me that if God created us, he kind of knows how we work. You guys with me on that? Imagine, I don't know if any of you guys like spike ball. Anybody in here like spike ball? Okay. Um, anybody in here like Shark Tank? Okay. Okay. Spike ball was a Shark Tank invention. I don't know if you knew that or not. But imagine someone walks in with a spike ball net and they put it in front of you and they don't tell you anything about what it is. What are you going to do with that thing? Probably jump on it. Yeah. That's what my two-year-old wanted to do last week at kickoff. He's trying to jump on this mini trampoline. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. That's not what it's for. But the reality is you need the inventor to explain how it's meant to be used in order to actually use it properly. And so for God to us to say, hey, I made you. I knit you together perfectly in your mother's womb. I actually get to tell you what is best for you for your flourishing. Okay, most people in this room don't know how to even change their oil in their car. I'm with you. Heck, half of you dudes don't even know how to do your own laundry. So, so why do you all of a sudden think that you get to define truth? All right? If you can't even do your own laundry, stop trying to tell me that you know what's best for you. What's best for you is doing your own laundry. All right? Straight up. God gets to tell you what is best for you. And if you want to say no, and you want to say, I'm going to tell me what's best for me, you're along with the majority of the world, okay? You guys can, if you want, flip with me. Romans 1. It's kind of weird that um, God's word kind of calls that this happens. It's almost a coincidence, maybe. Um, Romans 1. I'm going to start in verse 18. God writes through Paul, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, what? Suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, we, are without excuse. For although we knew God, we did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but we became futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts were darkened. We claimed to be wise, but yet we became fools. And we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That is what is true of humanity. All right? Not you. Us. All right? This is what's true of us. We have taken the truth of God. We have taken God's good design and we have said, thanks but no thanks. I'm going to choose my own way because I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want to become my own God. We see this in Adam and Eve at the very beginning of Scripture. God gives them 
dominion over the entire garden, and he gives them one rule. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, what do they do? They say, really? Did God really say that? I think, you know what? I want to become like God, and so I'm going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is what we call sin, rebellion against God, okay? And so if you're here and you say, man, I don't want to follow God's word, I'm here to tell you, congratulations, you have suppressed the truth with every other human being that has walked the face of the earth. But that doesn't make it okay. It's going to lead to problems. So flip, flip back with me to Psalm, Psalms 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, He, the blessed man, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its seasons, in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Okay, these two lifestyles have two different earthly outcomes. And we look first at this human being who is defined as blessed, who has this ongoing, well-knit relationship with God because they're walking with him. And this picture here is one that actually requires us to think about nature, which I think is beautiful, right? In, a, in an arid and dry climate, that you would be like a tree right next to a flowing river of water, that you would have deep roots that mean you are firmly established, you are secure, you know the truth, and guess what? Because you're connected to the water source, you bear fruit, you're coming alive, you're flourishing. And this, again, I want to park and say, this does not mean that if you follow Jesus, you are going to be healthy and wealthy and prosper at every single thing you do. Jesus himself came and was poor, homeless, and crucified. That's who I call king. Blessed here is not about material possessions, but is about your right standing with God, okay? But we see fruitfulness. And what fruitfulness is actually meant to portray is not just life, but purpose. That your life actually has purpose. Fruit does not just grow on a tree for the good of the tree. Fruit grows on a tree so that when people come to the tree, they get to taste and see that the fruit is good. And so, as you are connected to the source, Jesus, in his word, you get to experience stability. You have firm roots. When questions arise in life, you can run to the Bible and you can find truth. You don't have to create your own. And you're connected to the life source in Christ. And guess what? He is going to bear fruit in your life. He's going to give you purpose with your life, meaning when other people come into contact with you, you will also be able to give them the life that Jesus has given you and point them to the truth that Jesus has revealed to you. That's amazing. But the problem is, if we have exchanged the truth for a lie, and we are not delighting in God's word, meditating on God's word, following God's word, we get this earthly outcome that it says the wicked, tough, us, are not so. 
and are like chaff that the wind drives away. And I don't know how many of you guys even know what the word chaff means. I had to look it up. I'm not that smart, okay? Um, chaff, I'll give you the definition. The husks and straws removed by the act of threshing. It's lighter than the edible kernels and have no value. This is the stuff that the farmers would take and they would just throw it up in the air and it would just blow away. That is who you are. That is who we are. If we're going to say, I'm going to deny God and I'm going to follow my own truth, you have no stability. Because as soon as the rubber meets the road and your own truth proves to be false, you're thrown up in the air. What are you going to do? Where are you going to run now? Find someone else's truth? Well, that's their truth. You can't live their truth. You have to live your truth. It's an issue. And to say, man, no purpose. And I know many of you guys might argue, man, there are a lot of people who are not Christians that contributed incredible things to society. And with that, I say, amen. God is gracious, and he uses jacked up people to do awesome things. <laughs> but the reality is, nothing of eternal value, right? Because even if you're the, the wealthiest person that's ever walked the face of the earth, and you advance modern science so that the average lifespan is 120 congratulations, everybody is still going to die. And one day, God is going to come and he is going to destroy the earth as we know it and he's going to make all things new. So all the statues that are up, that are built after you because you changed the world, they're gone. Nobody cares. What eternal value do we have if we're going to follow our own truth? The answer is none. And that's discouraging to me. It makes me think, is, is all of this for nothing? There's eternal outcomes too. Read with me verses 5 and 6. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is a matter of life and death, all right? People that are delighting in God's word, people that are meditating on the scriptures, people that are following Jesus as their source of truth, says, Guess what? Guess what their outcome is? Life. God knows them. And this word knows actually means like he sees them and he approves of them. You get to experience eternal life, life with God forever. But for everybody who does not meet that mark, this mark of righteousness to say, oh, who's your source of truth? Who's your source of truth been over your life? How, how have you done following God? What does your time in the Bible look like? What's your verdict? Do you think you're going to live or you're going to die? Anybody? Any guesses? No one wants to say it, okay? We can put our resume before God, and it's not impressive. I'm not righteous. You're not either. Okay, we come before God, and at best we say, I tried my hardest. That sounds a lot like religion to me. We talked about that at the beginning. To say, man, God, I looked at your word. I tried to follow it as best as I could to a T. But you missed it. You lied. You were greedy. You stole. You watched porn. You looked at a man lustfully with sexual intent in your heart. You've been angry at someone. You haven't forgiven a sibling. 
a friend, you miss the mark. The mark is righteousness, perfection, abiding richly in God. But the good news is, there's this guy named Jesus, okay? And in John 1.14, it says, The Word, revelation of God to his creation, the Word became flesh. That God himself would come down to earth, he would take on flesh, he would become a human, and he would be the righteous one. That he would not create his own truth, that he would not suppress the truth, but that he would follow God perfectly. And because our sin leaves us short of God, that requires judgment. We talked about that last week if you were with us. The sweet thing is, none of us, apart from Jesus, would stand in the judgment. We could not stand in front of a holy God. But guess who took your judgment? Jesus Christ. This God-man, fully God, fully man, comes and clothes himself in flesh and lives the perfect life that you couldn't. He became righteous while you were the sinner, the scoffer, and the mocker. And he died in your place and he rose again. And now he's saying to you, do you want to stand with the righteous? Trust in me. When you stand before God... And if he says to you, why should I let you into heaven? Your answer cannot be because I read your Bible and I tried my hardest to live up to you. Your answer must be, I could not earn my way to you, God, so you had to come to me and praise be to God, you did. You sent Jesus to live in my place, die my death and rise again so that I could experience a relationship with you. That's what it is to be blessed, is to be reconciled to God. And so our big idea tonight is God's word gives you life, okay? God's word gives you life. And this is multifaceted. If Jesus is God's word incarnate, the only way that you get to experience life with God forever is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Your resume will do you nothing in front of a holy God. But Jesus says, if you would stand before God right now and say, God, the only way that I can have a relationship with you is because of what you've done on my behalf, he says, welcome to the family. (laughs) You get to experience eternal life with God. And that is a forever thing. I think oftentimes when we hear the word eternal life, all we can think about is quantity. This is also a quality thing. Eternal life is about experiencing God, and that gets to start now. That we would get to say, I get to experience eternal life with God because when I said yes to Jesus, out of his love for me, when I responded and said yes, I now get to walk with God. In his resurrection that Jesus would say, hey, you no longer have to do the things that you used to do. I'm going to give you the power to say no. Jordan, you no longer have to sleep around. Jordan, you don't have to party and get drunk every weekend. You don't have to swear. No, you can live for me. And I'm going to help you, and I'm going to show you, and I'm going to reveal myself to you through my word. And you guys, I can just personally tell you, I've never been more alive. I've never been more alive than when I'm walking in step with my creator, because he knows what's best for me. Does that mean life has been peachy and rainbows and unicorns? Not always. (laughs) Most days it doesn't look like that. It looks like drinking a bad protein shake, right? But the reality is, Psalm 23 says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, you are with me. 
Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I have God with me. So if you're on the mountaintop and you don't have Jesus, I'm better in the valley with him than you are. That's just a reality. I get to experience life. But Jesus is inviting you into that. And so our response, as we look at this and we say, wait a second, I thought this was about the Bible, and now you're talking about Jesus. It's kind of funny how that works. Um, How does this all relate? Well, first, as you look at your Bible, you're going to see that you don't measure up. That's actually part of Scripture is for you to look at it and it to be a mirror and for you to say, oh, I'm not perfect, okay? Our response is to say, wow, I deserve judgment. Guess who took my place? Jesus did. And this this act of repentance and belief to say, you tell me to be sexually moral, to save sex until marriage, and I did not do that. Because of that, I deserve death. But Jesus, you came and you died in my place. Therefore, out of the response of what you've done for me, I want to say, I don't want to watch porn anymore. Because you saved me. And because you saved me, because you died for me, my only right response is that I want to live for you. You saved my soul. The least I can do is give you the next 70 years of my life. Repent and believe. To look at the Bible and say, wow, I am in desperate need of a Savior. And guess what? Jesus is him. (laughs) The price has been paid. But secondly, there is this response that is required of people who say, I love Jesus, and it's to follow him. It's to say, man, if I want to know God, it requires me to talk with him and to hear from him. And if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. This is God's voice to you, and he's saying, I want to know you, and I want you to know me. Start reading your Bibles. And you're probably thinking, Yo, I'm overwhelmed, I'm not a preacher dude, I don't get it. And I'm telling you, I was there eight years ago. Start small, okay? My challenge to you is open up to the Gospel of John, John 1, and just start reading. I don't care if you read a verse a day, a chapter a day, a chapter a week, I don't care what you read, you just gotta start. And I wholeheartedly believe that as you begin to engage with the God of the Bible, it's going to be like a pint of Ben and Jerry's. You're going to start with one bite, and you're going to say, I'm not finishing this tonight. I can't consume 1,300 calories. And before you know it, you're at the bottom of the pint. It's just what happens when you taste and see that the Lord is good. You're going to start reading Scripture, and you're going to say, wow, this is really good for me. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to take some work to get started, but you're going to enjoy it. Okay, start reading your Bible. And don't read it alone. Read it in community. That's why I think there's value in connection groups. But it doesn't have to be a connection group. Pull a teammate in with you. Just say, hey, Jordan talked last week about us reading in John. We should start reading John 1 together. Grab someone that works with you and just say, hey, I wanted to start reading my Bible. Would you want to read with me? Read the Bible in community. You get more people in on it. You get more insight. There's more safeguards. You can ask questions to people. It's just healthy. Read in community, and then memorize. Start to memorize some of the Bible. You might think, I can't memorize anything. You still know Nellie Country Grammar, all right? You can memorize song lyrics from 20 years ago. 
you can memorize a Bible verse, and let me tell you, you're going you're gonna to love it. Start small. Start with Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just put an alert on your phone and read that every day until when your alarm goes off, you don't have to look, look at it anymore. You just know what it says. That's what it means to meditate on Scripture. To not just delight in it, like we talked about reading and consuming, but to meditate on it, to say, man, I just can't stop thinking about what God says to me in his word. One thing that has to be addressed, if you want Jesus to lead you, start running to your Bible first, okay? This goes for me too. I claim to want to be led by Jesus, but when an issue hits, like a bad protein shake, what do I go to first? Oh, I'm going to take Pepto. Are you kidding me? Get on your knees and pray to the God of the universe. He's for you, right? Open up the Bible. See what he says about anxiety and your need to feel like you have to stand up and preach on Thursday night or something's going to go terribly wrong. Guess what? I make a terrible Savior. All you need is Jesus. If I die tomorrow, you're going to be just fine. Run to the Bible first. Don't let your Bible be a last resort. Let it be your first thing you run to when you have a question or an issue with life. And lastly, I think this just, these are a lot of like do's, and I don't think doing a lot is inherently bad, but I think we need to just start changing the way we think about the Bible. This goes all the way back to the beginning. Like, if this is just another boring set of rules um, that I grew up with, and I'm just like, eh, it's whatever, it's a Bible, you're never going to read it. But if you begin to say, this is a Bible that the God of the universe perfectly compiled together. It's a statistical miracle. It's changed millions of lives across the world. And he's speaking to me today. This book that you have free access to is illegal or dangerous to possess in 52 countries around the world, and you're going to let it collect dust on your shelf? Are you kidding me? There are people dying to have this translated into their language, and you have more Bible than you would ever know what to do with. Start changing the way you think about Scripture, and let's just recapture the awe that the God of the universe would speak to us. And you guys, as we do this, straight up, as we do this, as we begin to say, I am someone that is in awe of who God is, that he would speak. I am in awe of the scriptures, that they would show me who I am meant to be and how I am designed to flourish. We would be like this tree in a dry, arid culture. This world that is trying to dry you out, you would be connected to the life source you would have firm roots. You would be able to run back to Jesus every time something gets hard and you would be able to come back to life. That is who we would be if we would say, man, I love Jesus because he's laid his life down for me and because I love Jesus and because he laid his life down for me, I want to know him and worship him. We would be full of life and we would bear incredible fruit. And I don't want this just to be like a college campus thing. I think there's a component to it where it's like, man, imagine if you came to life 
and you came into contact with a classmate who was suicidal, and you could say, hey, I've been there. Would you mind if I told you my story? And you started sharing Jesus with them. That you could literally prevent a suicide by pointing people to scripture? That's pretty amazing. That people would get to eat the, tr- the fruit off of your tree and benefit. That's great. But one thing we say here at Salt Company is we want to disciple you guys not for a Christ-centered college experience, but a Christ-centered life. All right? My win is not for you to peak in college. I don't want you to just follow Jesus while you're 18 to 23, and then you become 30 and you're a punk doing your own thing. That's a loss. Big L. If you would start to say, man, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to let God tell me what to do with my life, you wouldn't begin to repeat all the brokenness that you have seen in your life. You would have a stable marriage, Lord willing. You'd get to be the dad that your dad was never to you. You'd get to be the mom that your mom was never to you. Or, Lord willing, you get to be just like your mom who was faithfully following Jesus, and you're like, wow, how did she do it? She was connected to her life source. She knew Jesus. That's my win, you guys. I hope someday I'm old, sitting on a rocking chair on my front porch and who knows where, probably Iowa still, and I get a phone call and you say, man, you, I don't know if you remember me. I probably won't. I'll have lost my memory by that point. You'll say, I don't know if you remember me, but I just want you to know I'm following Jesus and my, I got to baptize my kids this weekend. That would be so much joy to my heart that God would use a jacked up dude like me to just get to put a Bible in front of you and say, guys, isn't Jesus beautiful? And that he, not I, that he would capture your heart and help you follow him for the rest of your life. For your good and for his glory. That's what it's all about. Amen? All right, pray with me. Yeah, Father, um, we definitely don't deserve um, the way that you have pursued us. For you to speak, um, not just speak the world into existence, but to put your word together for us to be able to hear from you today in 2021, thousands of years after this was penned, and for the word of God to come alive and to show us not only how to flourish here on this side of heaven, but that you would reveal to us our need for a savior in Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are the word incarnate, that you came and you are the perfect revelation of who God is, that you were the righteous one that stood in our place so that we can stand with you forever. God, I pray that you would capture the hearts of the students in this room that they would stop trying to define their own truth or live up to some unrealistic expectation in their mind or in their heart and that they would just fall to their knees and worship you. And that they would respond to your death in their place by living their lives out of a response to you. God, guide our steps in the coming days, weeks, months, and years so that we would not just claim to know you or claim to love you, but that we would follow you, that we would walk closely with you because you are an intimate God 
who wants to walk with us. Even now, God, thinking of the Psalms as these songs of praise and adoration, help us to, from the overflow of our hearts right now, sing songs of praise and adoration to you now. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you loved us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen.